while everyone is taking their seat, uh, I wanted to have a brief time of prayer before we start the message this morning, uh, a little different from some of the other times of prayer that we have. We normally open in prayer, but uh, just this week, uh, most of you have watched the news. There were nine people killed at a church service uh, this week uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, and from my understanding, uh, they're going to go on with services as normal this week. And so right now, I cannot imagine having a church service if nine of you had been killed earlier in the week and trying to go about uh, worshiping the Lord as normal. So I want to take a minute and pray for our brothers and sisters in South Carolina, uh, as well as the, the gentleman who did the shooting. Uh, pray that God would somehow work in his life and that young man would repent of his sins and be saved also. And so let's go to Lord in prayer and then we'll go into God's word. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for the blessing of following Jesus Christ. And God, you tell us throughout the scriptures that when we follow you, uh, we will face persecution. And you tell us to love those and pray for those who persecute us. And Lord, you tell us that when we are faithful following you, trials will come. And so I pray for our brothers and sisters in Charleston, South Carolina. Lord, I pray that you would comfort their families who have lost loved ones. Lord, I pray that through this tragic event that the gospel would permeate that town and that people would see that Christ followers live their lives differently than the rest of the world. And Lord, I pray that somehow throughout all of this that the town of Charleston and the rest of America and anybody else watching would see that if we lose our lives for the sake of Christ, we have lost nothing. That following you to the very end is worth whatever we endure on this earth. And so, God, I pray all of this for the families. And, Lord, I pray for this young man who has made an incredibly bad and foolish decision. Lord, I pray that you would work in his life. Lord, I pray that you would convict him of his sin. And I pray that he would reach out to you as the only one who can save him. And, Lord, I pray that that boy would not find rest until he finds you. And we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you would take your copy of God's Word and you would turn to Matthew chapter 13. We are still going through the book of Matthew. And we come to uh, a great section in Matthew. Uh, and it's a, it's a very fitting section for Father's Day as well. And so we have, uh, we have prayed already. So we're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 13. Hopefully you've kept up with what's been going on in the book of Matthew. Jesus had come on the scene. He's proven himself to be the Son of God and God himself. Jesus has cast out demons. He's healed the blind. He's healed the lame. He's, he's cleansed lepers. And all of these things he's done. And along the way, the Pharisees have rejected him. The Pharisees would be the old guard of the old covenant. Uh, but the Pharisees have gotten to a point where they're not as much worried about keeping God's law, but they're worried about keeping man's law in order to look good as opposed to being holy. And there's a big difference. And so, as you can imagine, the disciples would probably find very much, and the, the followers of Christ would find very much frustrating these people amongst them who aren't really of them. And Jesus addresses that in Matthew 13. So here we go. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And just so you know, I can justify the purchase of a boat from this passage. And Wednesday night, we'll probably do something like that. And so Jesus is in the boat. The crowds have gathered around. And verse 3 says, And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. 
And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out, and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." So here's the scene. Jesus has just been rejected by all the Pharisees and he's going out and he's teaching the people and there's a big enough crowd around him where it's a, it's a tight group. And so he gets into a boat a little ways off the shore. He begins to teach them and he begins to teach them this parable. And at the end of it, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And this is the same verbiage that's going to be used in the book of Revelation when it, when Jesus at the end of each of his addresses to the seven churches says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And this is a spiritual ear. So he who has spiritual ears to listen, let him hear. Now into verse 10, and we're going to explain this parable in a minute, but we're going to, we're going to wait till Jesus does it. And so verse 10, and the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not understand, nor, excuse me, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Verse 14, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive for the heart of this people has become dull with their ears. They scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their heart in return. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus goes on to tell them that he speaks in parables to fulfill the prophecies that were given in Isaiah. Isaiah's ministry was very much like this. In Isaiah's calling, when God calls him in the first few chapters of Isaiah, he says, I'm sending you to a people who have ears but can't hear and who have eyes but can't see. And so Jesus says, here I am, I'm I'm doing the same thing that Isaiah did. And then he tells the disciples, but listen, you who have spiritual ears and can hear, more is going to be given to you. But for those people who don't have spiritual ears and can't understand the things I'm saying, even what they have is going to be taken away from them. Very much like the other teachings of Jesus that on this earth, or the teachings of James rather, it says that the, the people of God are going to be given rewards in heaven. And then so the question is, well, why do you allow good things to happen to bad people on earth? And the book of James is going to say that, listen, those people are storing up treasures on earth and that that are having their treasures on earth. That's their reward. And at the end of days, it's all going to be taken from them. And so he's showing you, he's laying out for you that there there are tremendous benefits to having spiritual ears and following the things that Jesus is saying. And he's going to lay that out even more. And so just a side note, because of what we've been praying for this morning... You can tell that that church in Charleston that this massacre happened to, you can tell that that group of believers has spiritual ears because of the way that they're conducting themselves and the things that they're saying. 
And you look at the way they're acting. And as all of this is happening and playing itself out, they're talking about things like forgiveness and repentance. And they're talking about things like morality and sin. This is a group of people who a tragedy has just happened to. And they get Jesus. They understand him 100%. They realize, and this is, this, do not take me as political this morning, but they realize that the problem isn't guns and the problem isn't racism and the problem isn't all this other stuff. The problem is, is that there's people in the world who have rejected Jesus Christ and they have hate in their heart and they have not repented of their sins and all of those other things that I listed are problems, but they're all symptoms of the real problem. Okay? And so I just want you to see that, that there are lost people in the world who blame things on everything that you can imagine when the root of the issue is having Jesus Christ or not having Jesus Christ. And so you go on here, and Jesus is going to explain the parable of the sower. And so in verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. And he's just going to be speaking to his disciples. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. So if you remember, there's four different times that seed was scattered. This is the first one. The first one scattered on the road. The evil one comes and snatches it away. Verse 20. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So this is someone who exactly like Jesus just said, he hears the word, he rejoices, maybe he gets baptized, and then because he has no firm root, because it hasn't taken in his life, he falls away because of affliction and persecution. Verse 22, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And so because this is Father's Day, I want to take an application. There are a lot of men that I think fall into this category of the second and the third seed. Obviously, there's a lot of people in this world who hear and the devil snatches it away and it never takes root. But there are those who receive it with joy and then persecution and affliction comes and they fall away. There's the one who the seed gets planted in thorns and it sprouts up, but the thorn chokes it out. Men... Peer pressure wasn't just something that was talked about in middle school, elementary school, and high school. It still applies to you today. There are many men who like the thoughts of following Christ. They see that sin leads to death, and they see that Jesus Christ offers life and life abundantly. And there are some men who get saved, and they call on the Lord to forgive them of their sins, and then their friends and their old way of life chokes them. And the worries of the world choke them. And they fall away by the wayside. And these are men that we need to be praying for. Because they are not gone altogether. But we as a church need to not openly identify these people. But you know who they are without saying any names. And we need to be on our knees praying for these people. Because in the end, what you find is that these people are not those people who inherit eternal life. There are so many people who have come in at one point to the church in time and they got excited and all sorts of good things started to happen and then very shortly after that 
They fall away because of the worries of the world, and they fall away because of temptations and persecutions and all these other things. And they would rather run with the old crowd than put off the old and stick with the new. And it's heartbreaking to talk about, but if just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And so listen to this. Then he says in verse 23, And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some, a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And so he says, listen, out of those four seeds that were cast, only one of them was put somewhere good, and only that one is producing fruit. And what does Jesus go on to say about all sorts of other people? He says, you're going to know that they're my followers by the fruit that they bear. And John the Baptist and Jesus, too, are both going to say, listen, if a tree doesn't bear good fruit, what is it good for? You cut it down and you throw it into the fire. And so, men, if you're here and you can reflect on your life and your life isn't producing any fruit, today would be the perfect day for you to repent of your sins and to begin bearing fruit as good seed. Men, if you have friends who at one time seem to be walking with the Lord and they're not walking with the Lord anymore and you look at their life and they don't seem to be bearing any fruit, you need to be on your knees praying for these men. They would repent of their sins and they would begin to bear fruit in life. Listen to this, verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? So just just put yourself in this shoes for a minute. You're a farmer. You're the, you're the head farmer. You're the landowner. And bad things begin to grow in your field. And your workers, right, who work for you and do what you tell them to do, they come to you and say, Hey, uh, Blunt, didn't you buy good seed? Did you, did you plant this stuff? You can just see how this is going. And he said to them, verse 28, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to them, to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? No, he said. But he said, No, for a while you are gathering, for a while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So what's going on here is that you have people who are actively in the kingdom of God, right? They're Christians, they're bearing fruit, and they're doing the right thing. And at the same time, you have other people who are calling themselves Christians, they're in the same places as Christians, but these people, for a while, while they're sprouting, they look the same as the wheat. And so for a while, you have two things that look very close to each other. Most of you have uh, planted tomatoes. And uh, do we have something around here that grows alongside your tomato plants but doesn't bear fruit? You ever heard of this weed? You ever heard of it? What do you call it? In South Carolina, we had an associate pastor uh, who preached a whole sermon on this particular issue. He said that the weed that's commonly called a sucker grows right up next to your tomato plants. And I heard the man preach a sermon. He said, there's a lot of suckers in the church. I thought, boy, that'll, I guess that'll preach. But anyways, point being, you're familiar with plants that when they're sprouting, they look like the real thing. And then when it's time to pick the fruit, when it's time to get the fruit, you realize that that 
is an imposter, and it's good for nothing but to throw in the fire. And so, brothers and sisters, on Father's Day, I want you to reflect on your life and ask yourself, is your life bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? He's going to go on. And it sounds now that Jesus is being really hard on people, that he's, well... He's making you do some self-reflection and wondering if not you're in the kingdom of God or not, which is a very healthy thing to do. And so you may be thinking, well, in order for my life to look like you're talking about, I may have to give up X, Y, Z in order to not be an imposter, but to be the real thing. And you may think that the cost of following Christ is too high that you're not willing to make that leap. And so Jesus naturally leads into this. He presents them another parable. Saying the, This is in verse 31. Saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it's full grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So he tells a parable about a mustard seed. Now listen, don't have any doubt that Jesus knew that a mustard seed wasn't the smallest of all seeds. It's possible to look at a group of seeds and say that this is the smallest. And so probably around here you would say, well, a sage seed is the smallest seed. Well, it's probably not the smallest seed that there is, but for what we have in this area, probably the smallest seed that you're going to find. And so when Jesus is talking about this particular uh, seed, he's talking about a, a region that they would have been familiar with. They don't have the World Wide Web. You're not going to Google what's the smallest seed. You're just going to go on common knowledge. Okay, for where we are, mustard is as small as it gets. And then he says, listen, get this principle of this parable. that The kingdom of heaven is like the smallest seed. And so it seems somewhat unpresumptuous. You wouldn't think much of a little teeny seed. He says, but among the garden plants, when this seed is planted, it grows and it's able to harbor other things like animals. Listen to what else he says. He goes on in verse 33 and he talks about leaven. If any of you have done any baking, you know, that yeast or leaven, you just use a pinch of it and then it multiplies drastically. He spoke another parable, verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And so I looked, and a peck is eight, uh, how do you measure flour in quarts? Eight quarts of flour or a quarter of a bushel, okay? So she's got three quarters of a bushel of flour here, and she hides three pecks of yeast. She hides uh, a little bit of yeast in it. And so if you were to look at a basket full of flour, you wouldn't think much of it. But as soon as somebody comes along and they sprinkle a little bit of yeast in it, that unpresumptuous thing of flour turns into an absolute mountain full of bread. My grandma used to make uh, biscuits for fresh rolls. If I called them biscuits, she would shoot me. She made rolls for Thanksgiving. And she'd she'd make them all by hand. And it would look like a very not appealing batch of dough inside of this bowl. Then she'd sprinkle a little bit of yeast in it. She'd work the yeast into the dough, put a wet towel over it. And then you come back a couple hours later and this thing is just absolutely overflowing with dough. It's going to be enough rolls to feed the whole family. And he says, don't think that because of the smallness of what I'm talking to you about here, that it's going to stay this way. And listen to more. He's going to explain the wheat and the tares, verse 34, and then he's going to come back and tell you more about the kingdom of heaven. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. 
And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, This is the one, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as far, excuse me, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. So the Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has an ear, let him hear. And so he says, listen, for those of you who have spiritual ears, this is what you need to hear. There are people who are in the kingdom following God, and they are bearing fruit, and they are followers of God. They are sons of God. And then there are imposters who are of the evil one right beside them. And for a time, you can't tell the difference between the two. But at the end of the age... The angels are going to come and they're going to take out the good ones and they're going to bind the other ones and they're going to throw them into the lake of fire. And so what this means is that you may sit side by side with someone who is of the evil one and you're only going to know it by the fruit that they bear. And so listen to this very closely. If you are living a life trying to follow Christ and you're pursuing Christ and somebody comes alongside and tries to talk you out of that, Who says, you've gone too far. You've gone crazy following Christ. You need to ease up some. If there's someone who comes alongside you, even within the church, and says, you're going too far, man. You're really taking this thing way too serious. It's very possible that people that we call our friends could be imposters. And the way that you find this out is if you have somebody in your life trying to bring you away from your convictions and you following Christ, that person very well may be of the evil one, even if you've sat beside them for your whole life in church. And you go, boy, that's a real downer. But listen, that's the truth. It's the absolute truth. You will know... If people are in the kingdom or not in the kingdom, by the fruit that they bear. And you go, well, you're just a fundamentalist, judgmental guy standing up there. No, I haven't judged anybody. I'm just telling you how you, biblically speaking, can size up somebody's life. And they are the ones that bring condemnation on themselves, not me. So here we go. You go, boy, if we want to enter into this kingdom of God, it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to mean leaving some of our old ways behind and following Christ, doing things that maybe we're not comfortable with and we haven't ever done before. And Jesus is going to go on and he's going to be very encouraging here in verse 44. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And he tells his followers, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So here you have this guy walking through a field. You don't know where he's coming from and you don't know where he's going, but somehow he stumps his foot on a treasure box or something. I don't know how you find a treasure in a field. Never done it. I'm, I'm always praying for that coffee can full of World War II money, right? But never found it. Don't even know how to go about finding it. But this guy finds a treasure. And it's so great that he hides it again and he goes and sells everything that he has. Just so that he can buy that field for that treasure. And so whatever that treasure is, 
it's worth selling everything that you have to gain that treasure. Then he says in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So you have a merchant. This is somebody who's going to be educated in whatever they're buying and selling. So this is a merchant who's looking for pearls. This is a jeweler. And he finds a pearl of such great value. This is a merchant, right? He has everything that the merchant would have. All of the business, everything. And it says that this merchant finds a pearl. One pearl. You have one jeweler, and the jeweler finds one pearl of such great value that he sells everything he has to get that pearl. You're talking business. You're talking contacts. You're talking house. You're talking liquefying all of your assets and getting rid of them just so that you can purchase one pearl that fits in the palm of your hand. Listen, if you give up everything you have to gain Jesus Christ, you win. Jesus Christ is worth leaving everything in this world for just to gain him. I think if Jesus was on the earth today, he would probably give a poker illustration because it's relevant. If you're playing cards and you're dealt Jesus, he's worth going all in for. Okay? He's worth pushing all of your chips and everything that you have, your car keys and anything else that you may be holding on to thinking it's valuable. He's worth pushing it all to the middle of the table and betting everything on Jesus Christ. Because you will not lose being a follower of Christ. It may not seem like all that much in the beginning. But this thing grows just like dough does when you put leaven in it. And it gets so fantastic that you can't even describe it with words. Because following Christ is better than anything else that the world has to offer. But you have to walk away from the world before you realize the joy is of following Christ. And you don't get the pearl. And you don't get the treasure until you forsake everything else and leave it for Christ. And then we go on to verse 47. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so just a side note on this, because I want to I want to keep moving through the text. There's this idea that lost people have that if you do more good things than bad things, that you're going to go to heaven. And that's not true. The reason that somebody gets to go to heaven is because they put their faith in Jesus Christ and he forgives them of their sins. And so there is no scale in doing good or bad. But when you are saved, you do righteous things, and to some extent, you're going to be judged on your works. But the thing is here, is that if you have all the good works in the world, if you have them apart from Jesus Christ, you have absolutely no standing before God. And so, we need to be followers of Christ, who are actively doing good works, because in doing those good works, you're proving your salvation. And that's what your hope is in, that you can look at your life, you can examine your life, you can put yourself to the test to see if you're really meeting the mark or not. Then he goes to the disciples, he looks at them, and he says in verse 51, have you understood all these things? And they say to him, yes. 
And he's probably like, yeah, right. Sure. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his treasure things new and old. And so what Jesus is doing is he's getting the disciples ready to be on their own. And he says, listen, you who are my disciples, you're like the head of a house. And the head of a house in this day would have a storeroom, which is called a treasure. And when the family needed something, he would go into the storeroom and he would bring out new things and old things. So very much like uh, you do with your children. If you have three children like I do, you don't throw shoes away. You hold on to shoes and you hold on to clothes because the next little rascal that comes along, you're going to go into the treasure and you're going to wear the old things first. And then after we've worn out these old things, then we're going to get something new. And he's telling him that, listen, you guys now are the spiritual head of households. You're going to be the ones who bring out the old first, the old covenant, the old testament. And then you're also going to be the one who brings out the new. And you're going to be the one who brings this thing together for everybody. And remember, out of the book of Malachi, we're looking forward to someone coming who's going to be the messenger of the new covenant. And that's Jesus Christ. And now he's telling, Jesus is telling his followers, listen, you're the ones who are going to explain all of this to the people. I'm explaining it to you. You're going to be the one who takes it further. And then what you find in verse 53... It says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. Because, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And so what I want you to take away from this is that a prophet in his hometown doesn't have any honor because they know who he is and where he came from. And sometimes people in your own hometown won't let you grow into the person that God wants you to be. Sometimes your best friends will be the ones that hold you back the most. And sometimes as a Christ follower, you need to examine your life and you need to know where God is taking you in life and you need to to make decisions to get you where God wants you to be. And listen to me very closely. If it means moving, if it means taking a new job, if it means getting out of the family business, Whatever it means for you to grow into the person that God wants you to be, it's worth it. Because following Christ is always worth it. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a fine pearl. And when a merchant found it, he sold everything he had to gain that pearl. And so any decision, brothers and sisters, that you have to make to grow in Christ and to further your, your knowledge and to further your maturity into the kingdom of God, it's worth giving up everything for. Amen? So if you're here and you go, I want that. I want that. I want that kingdom of God. I want that pearl that's more valuable than anything else. You come to me and I'll tell you how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is greater than we could ever imagine. 
Father, we thank you for the truth that you spell out in your word. And Father, I pray for us as a church that we would forsake everything for the sake of following Christ. Lord, I pray that our spiritual walk would become more important to us than anything else. And Lord, I pray that as we grow in Christ, that we would take others with us. And I pray that we would be a people who continually push people closer to Jesus Christ as opposed to pulling them back. And so God, help us, help revival to start amongst us. And Lord, I pray that as revival starts, that it would spread throughout the rest of the town and the community. And God, on this Father's Day, I pray for the men here. I pray that they would be men of God who follow Christ regardless of the cost. And I pray that they would be men who disciple their families and who lead their children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And Lord, I pray lastly that if there's anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they cash in everything and follow Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. If you would stand for a hymn of invitation. Well, again, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. It was a joy, as always, to worship the Lord with you. I hope that you men have a great day. And ladies, hopefully you'll roll out the red carpet as much as they did for you on Mother's Day, right? It always pays to, always pays to treat mama good. Anyways, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask Billy Griffin, would you close us in prayer?